Welcome to the Brave Little Podcast. Coming from California, here's Aaron Alvarado and David Stauffer. Welcome to the Brave Little Podcast. Joining me far from home in Los Angeles, California, it's Aaron Alvarado. Aaron, how are you? I'm doing good, and I'm actually not far from home. I am oh, at not. home. Oh, you so, are at home? Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm at home. Yeah. We should have named this pod Aaron Alvarado colon at home. <laughs> I thought you were just going to say Aaron Alvarado colon. I said, okay, all right. You want to go? Aaron Is this a Alvarado's health pod? Is that colon? <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, this intervention? <laughs> <laughs> Got to get checked, man. Um <laughs> No, we are here to talk Spider-Man. We're here to talk a lot of things. Aaron, it's been a while since we've recorded a pod. We have got a whole long some, time. Uh, movies to catch up on. Uh, we are oh, going to yeah. primarily be talking about Spider-Man Far From Home. Uh, we're also going to be talking uh, a film called Yesterday, um, inspired by that the That I Beatles. saw today. You saw it today. Yeah. Perfect. Um, <laughs> Um, and then we uh, we are going to hit on another film. Uh, we won't go too much in depth on just because it's a small film that uh, uh, most people listening probably haven't seen. But Aaron and I feel pretty strongly about. And that is The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Um, and it's playing in enough theaters that it should be accessible to most of the people listening. And so uh, we will be talking about that as well. Um, but yeah, with Spider-Man Far From Home making $185 million in its first five days... Uh, yeah, I've got a good sense that uh, that's the movie everyone saw this holiday weekend, which is why we're going to talk about it. But quickly, before that, I want to talk about something that I'm assuming also everyone saw over the weekend, and that is Netflix's marquee show, Stranger Things. Aaron, season three just dropped. How many episodes are you in? I'm still trying to catch up to uh, season three. I oh, saw no. the opening credits, and then I remembered I don't remember what happened in season two. So I have to go back and rewatch that. So I haven't started. You're going to rewatch season two? Yes. Okay. Because I enjoyed it so much the first time <laughs> I watched it. So. <laughs> no, you and I both were this kind of felt similarly. Here. Stranger Things season one was just outstanding. And season two was less than outstanding. Um, oh, yeah. It was still fine. I mean, compared to other shows that I'm watching, like it's probably it's above the rest, but like it just didn't hold a candle to season one. Uh, I will say, and I'm not going to go into any spoilers, but I have finished season three, uh, all Ooh. all eight episodes. Uh, they actually don't call it season three, by the way. I don't know if you knew this, but there, it's no. literally Strangers, Stranger Things three, Stranger Things two, and mm. Stranger Things. Uh, they don't call them seasons for reasons that I, are beyond me. But uh, but I finished all eight episodes, and I will say that it is, I, I believe, far superior to Stranger Things 2. Not quite to the caliber of one, but it is, it's something of a return to form for the show, which uh, was really exciting and really encouraging. And, uh, yeah, it was nice. to see. It's, just, it's just a good hang, man. It's fun. Very really cool. Is. I think that's really all you can ask for to, at a show like that. Um, you know, I would say without giving any spoilers, are there any like standouts for you from season three or three yes. Stranger Things three? Yeah. So um, there is one plot line in particular that I was so incredibly fond of 
Uh, I, I'm going to call it the Scoops Troop uh, plotline. This is for, uh, led by Steve the Hare Harrington, who is a character <laughs> that really took a turn from a real bully, real jerk, to mm-hmm. incredibly lovable and empathetic and you know didn't you really see that happening i don't know how that happened but yeah I, I don't understand either i i don't know if that was intentional or they just didn't know what to do with that character after they were you know he had his heel turn in season one but um <laughs> anyway there is there is a plot line because this is the problem with a cast so vast is you have to break them up and you're following like and at any time like five maybe six different you know groups of people doing things some of them aren't doing anything like particularly interesting but steve harrington uh, with a new character, uh, Robin, who works at this ice cream place with him in the mall called Scoops Ahoy. And uh, <laughs> she's actually played by Maya Hawke, who is the daughter of Uma Thurman and Ethan Hawke, which uh, she looks really like both of them, which is pretty incredible. But she's definitely uh, a great addition to the season. She's a really good actress and plays really well off of uh, Steve Harrington. And uh, anyway, it's them two uh, with... The character of Lucas's little sister, I'm forgetting her name, and then uh, Dustin, who's the the character, the main one of the main guys that's missing the teeth. He's got the curly hair. Um, him and Steve also had a great uh, bit in season two together. Uh, so anyway, they go on this adventure, and I won't say exactly what happens in that adventure, but everything about it was just incredibly fun and funny and interesting, and I would honestly watch an eight episode Netflix series just based on that crew. Like I really would. Uh, I mean, I may or may not have ordered uh, my Halloween costume for this year after watching it. And it may or may not be a scoops ahoy employee (laughs) uniform for both Lindsay and I. And so, (laughs) so uh, yeah, please tell me that she's going as Steve. (laughs) Yes. I got her a wig, a Steve Harrington wig. Uh, I'm going to go as Dustin. I'm going to pull out some. Tea, yeah. Get a perm. <laughs> uh, no. Yeah. So that that's honestly is. Yeah. That that's plot line. That storyline alone is worth the whole show. Like watching the whole season. So uh, those listening uh, who haven't started watching or are, I, I can't imagine anyone's on the fence other than maybe you, Aaron. <laughs> yeah. But I would encourage. I'm basically on the fence about any TV show out there that's popular. I mostly don't <laughs> like stuff, but. On occasion, you can push me to the other side to actually check it out. So, what's the last TV show you watched that you liked? Bosch. Oh, Bosch. Bosch on Amazon. That's how unlikely is that? By the way, this this is <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> Have you encountered in the wild <laughs> another individual organically that likes Bosch, like or even a friend, <laughs> no. family member, anything? No, I, I I've never met anyone that liked Bosch or even heard of Bosch. I I remember seeing there. I mean, there's ads all over the place for like literal billboards uh and then i watched bosch um and i got my wife into watching bosch and now bosch is the show that she'll just throw on when she wants something to play in the background sarah's into bosch I mean, Bo- she loves bosch bosch she is constantly bosch on i had no idea yeah yeah it is it's a great show i for it's for so for a cop procedural drama um it's really rewatchable i mean if i have a fondness for it because it's literally based in, in la i mean I recognize just it. about every it other location they use like in the, in the show. So yeah, yeah, it's it's very authentic, um, but it's also you know it's just ridiculous. It's TV, so uh, yeah, I love Bosch. <laughs> That's incredible. Beyond uh, that, not much else. Well, what's funny is is that I I have not met a soul that has watched it. 
presumably, I mean, Amazon's done four seasons of it, so someone has to be watching it for them to yeah. keep making it. Uh, but our our friend and, and co-host, Skylar, he just, I think he just randomly started watching it at some point. And he started texting us in our text thread, just like, this show, Bosch, like, he's like, I, I don't want to sound crazy, but it's really good. And I'm like, I looked it up and I was like, okay, a police procedural, like, yeah, you know, not my cup of tea. Like maybe right. basically I was like, I'll take a flyer on this and I'll revisit it when I'm 55 or 60. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's, that's how I, like I viewed it. Like in, I put it in like the law and order category. Like, yeah, maybe I'll, I'll watch it then. Well, I mean, that's, it's the type of show you usually watch once you become a homeowner. So that explains it why you started watching it. <laughs> Oh, if only I could own the home like Bosch has. Holy cow. Oh, my uh, gosh. Yeah, his his home was incredible. That's my favorite thing, too, is that, like, <laughs> I mean, they explain how he can afford it. Obviously, not on a cop's salary and not from the LAPD. But the main character, right. they just have to give this incredible home in the Hollywood Hills that's overlooking the city and has just these yeah. just glass walls all on the outside. And they just chalk it up to he, you know sold some of his uh, detective stories to movie rights or something like that. They vaguely <laughs> reference it, but basically he's basically a consultant a on a movie. Yes. So. <laughs> yes. And I can tell you right now, I know enough that, about the real estate in Los Angeles and how much consultants make on movies <laughs> that there's no way that dude is owning that home, but I love it because it's a great yeah. place and it's a great location for the movie or for the show. But yeah, yeah. it's so weird that not only Skylar intru- like introduced us to it, but that I actually, tried it out i get i gave it a go and i got hooked and i watched it all and i love it it's it's yeah. so great it's and really good and that so that's actually it ties in to me with the stranger things thing uh stranger things series because it's a, an original program through a streaming mm-hmm. service like netflix they invested money it to create their own ip and we got stranger things uh, amazon tried to follow that model and they give us bosh it's like if you if you put enough money into these original um, these original program uh, programs with these smaller streaming services, which they're not small anymore, but at the time yeah. they had small studios, um, they can churn out really interesting stuff. And then we got Stranger Things, and we got Bosch, and uh, Goliath on Netflix is actually really good too. I'm a big fan of that show. So the stuff is out there. I mean, look at Netflix; they're pushing their original programming super hard. I, every time you log on, it's an, you're just bombarded with more stuff. Netflix originals. Some of it's really good. Some of it's uh, pretty bad. But yeah. I, saw, I did see a headline recently that uh, Ted Serrano's, the guy that's head of programming at Netflix, that the executive that basically is the mastermind behind the original content and securing the talent um, you know, across the board for, from the comedy specials to David Letterman's talk show to you mm-hmm. know, Stranger Things, um, that they're going to start. They're, they've actually publicly said that they're going to be a little bit more... Um, financially my like financial minded when considering the shows that they're going to be producing and like basically they're not just going to be throwing money at everything like they used to uh right and that they're really going to be a little bit more careful like you can only you only have unlimited resources for so long right um, well look at how many how many different late night comedy shows they tried to throw money at you had the chelsea handler thing you had the uh, the talk soup thing that they, they failed McHale. then they Exactly with Joel McHale, and then they hit uh, with the Patriot Patriot yeah. Act, yeah. which is it's literally the best late night comedy show on on network or cable or streaming. Yep, um, it's it's the best. Like it's, it's by best. it's better than HBO is doing. Yep, it's better than anyone is doing. Yep, and Netflix found it. So it took for the them. right 
yeah, it took the right person. It took the right format. It took the right, you know, and it's a little different. Uh, but you have obviously yeah, exactly. Hassan Minhaj is so talented and funny and charismatic. And his whole like screen thing behind him with the graphics and yeah. him standing and the energy. Like it, it was just, they finally, it, it took three or four talk show failures before yeah. they were able to strike gold. And boy, have they. I, I That show's incredible. And it really, it's great. I, I'm a huge fan. And it really feels modern. It feels like not just another version of The Daily Show, which yeah. is what, uh, which is what, uh, not Colbert, but uh, John Oliver's doing on HBO. Yeah. He's just doing another Daily Show. That's right. Um, he's just doing but, a better version uh, of the current Daily Show. Is what exactly. Uh, whereas Patriot Act feels like a completely fresh, updated take on it. Yep. And it's a uh, really interesting perspectives. And I think uh, he's doing a great job. So again, kudos to Netflix. Absolutely. Uh, speaking of fre- speaking of fresh take on things, <laughs> we've got another Spider-Man film that came out. Aaron, this is, I feel like my life can be marked, maybe like can be uh, navigated by referencing the Spider-Man movies that have come out. Like it's just been a constant presence in my life. <laughs> and, and this is, this is my poor attempt at segging into talking about far from home. But, um, <laughs> but we got a new Spider-Man movie that came out this weekend. I referenced already has broke box office records for the holiday weekend. Uh, just uh, a year after uh, we got what I believe is not only the greatest Spider-Man movie, but the greatest superhero movie, which was Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Um, and amazingly, we get another incredibly, in my opinion, high-quality piece of Spider-Man fare. And I'm pretty blown away that the Spider-Man cinematic like, stories in my lifetime have had more hits than misses. Why is that? I think it, it just boils down to the character of Spider-Man. He's so relatable and he's so vulnerable. He's so flawed um, that people see themselves in Spider-Man and they want him to succeed. And I think it just it doesn't go back just to the movie history. I think if you go back to the 90s, there was a Spider-Man cartoon oh, on yeah. Fox. Loved it. It was excellent. I was a Loved huge it. fan of that cartoon. Yeah. Um, and I think it just had huge potential and they brought it over to movies and uh, I was a big fan of the first run of Spider-Man movies and even the the remakes were okay. But I think with the new the new um, Tom Holland Spider-Man, uh, the, I just think they're so much more entertaining than, than the past Spider-Man movies. I think they're very, very watchable and very, very consumable. So uh, I, I complain about Marvel movies all the time, but I feel like these new Spider-Man movies are just... it's. It's the type of movie that I wanted to see or that uh, that I really wanted out of Marvel from this cool. point or moving forward. We'll talk, we'll talk specifically about Far From Home in a second. But if you take the first two, Tobey Maguire, uh, you know, Spider-Man 1, Spider-Man 2, which are the good ones, and then the two Andrew Garfield ones you know, with Emma Stone, and then now these two with Tom Holland, Homecoming and Far From Home, would you put homecoming and far from home above the other ones i do you think those are pound for pound those two are better than the two of uh, the other entries oh i do i think they're they're just better movies all around and, and wow. they're more fun more than anything um i i think specifically there's something about tom holland as peter parker yeah. that is just very 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 lovable like he's just very yeah. uh again vulnerable and he's he's just a kid and it feels like he's actually struggling with these things um, more than past Peter Parker's have. So, 
Yeah. You know, it the, the the movies, the new Spider-Man, the Tom Holland Spider-Man, they are geared towards high schoolers. Like mm-hmm. they're made for high school age viewers. But mm-hmm. I think there's just something about the energy of it. It just captures. It's more fun than the the past Spider-Man movies. Do, does that have to do with the overall MCU? I mean, is, is it because it's not the Russo brothers, right? It's not some of the. It's, no. This is a new director with Homecoming. You know, that had not done anything involved in the MCU before. But do you think there's something? Uh, about the formula where they know that what works so the producer of these of the entire mcu kevin feige does he step in and say all right this is you know add this much humor this is how we want to write it like do you do you think that it, it has to do with that or is this it's, just it, like it a- probably does i think there, it's obvious that um somebody at uh, marvel has their hands crafting this thing and o- giving an overall feel and look and just um making it feel like it belongs within these MCU movies. I don't know who it is specifically. It could be Feige or whoever it is. Yeah. But there's definitely an understanding of what um, is appropriate for the tracks that they've laid, which is, you know, the Iron Man and, and all them. Um, and it just fits. I think something about it just feels more um, enjoyable for me. Uh, the 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 first the the uh, first two Spider-Man movies are great. They're fine. They're, I have a f- they're yes. you know I have a fond a great fondness yeah. for them. I mean, it was an event. It was really yes. Yeah, absolutely. But I feel like they're a little too heavy for what was being presented, especially looking back. Um, yes, there's silliness to it, but mm-hmm. it um, it was just like there there's there's just too much weight there, and I don't think that there's a different sort of weight in the new Spider-Man movies that just makes it more enjoyable for me. Um, yeah. yeah so, f- so what was the first homecoming? So homecoming, homecoming I thought yeah. was, it totally blew me away because I wasn't yeah. expecting yeah. such an enjoyable movie. Um, and then by halfway through the movie, I'm, I'm rooting for this kid. And, and I think that they really nailed the, the tempo and the flow and obviously the look. Um, so yeah, coming into this, this most recent Spider-Man, the far from home, Again, no expectations other than to be entertained, and uh, I, yeah. I, I could honestly say I was very entertained. Well, one, so maybe I should stop to say here, anyone listening, uh, we are going to start talking more specific plot points of the movie, so it will be spoiled if you have not seen it. Tune out, turn this either the Facebook video feed off if you're listening on the audio pod, uh, you can stop now. Um, but given the box office numbers, I'm guessing everyone in the world saw it, and so, uh, but talking about comparing the Raimi Spider-Man's with Tobey Maguire to this one, I think I had this moment I realized shortly after watching Far From Home why I like these ones so much more, even though I have a fondness for those first two. Uh, And it has to do with the fact that Tobey Maguire was just like a 35-year-old grown man playing like a (laughs) 16-year-old in that first one. And even though they were silly and Sam Raimi added his kind of sensibility to it that made it, you know, not like these dark drab more recent like just not justice league but like batman versus superman type of like darkness to it i mean it, it was light and it was fun but i realized like i'm the iconic scene from that first toby Maguire spider-man is where he ha- shares this uh kiss with kirsten dunst yeah. in the rain where he comes down upside yeah. down and she pulls down his mask halfway uh and just gives him this kiss that's like no high schooler in the history of high schoolers has ever done has ever looked has ever done anything that sexy or smooth or cinematic ever and in far from it's home a, <laughs> yeah that kiss specifically is very adult like that is, you can see two adults kissing two in that scene human, because yes. that's what they are 
Yes, yeah. that's what they are. They're two adults in their 30s. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> and con- contrast that with <laughs> Far From Home, where there is a scene where Peter Parker shares a kiss, and it, it is properly awkward. It's First, it's just this weird peck, which is usually the case with someone's first kiss. It's something like that, right? You don't just, like, launch into this rain-soaked makeout, right? Like, it's like an awkward peck, and then there's a kiss, but even then, it's, no, it's not smooth. None of it's smooth. It, and, like, I, I really appreciated that touch uh, because yeah. it added a level of authenticity. We're like, yeah. And while Tom Holland is in his early 20s, he looks like a 15- or 16-year-old. Like, he actually mm-hmm. really looks that young. Same with... Uh, Zen, Zendaya, Zendaya, I don't know how to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, they actually look and act like high schoolers, like truly awkward. Which, speaking of looking and acting like high schoolers, <laughs> coming into Far From Home, I will say I did have some concerns. Um, not, not because I doubted the MCU's ability to make high quality and super entertaining content, but that to follow Avengers Endgame is quite a, th- a feat, right? Like that's that's a difficult thing to do. That is the that is years and years and years. I mean, a decade in the making, and it is like the the just this ultimate coming together of all these storylines. And I don't know if you knew this, but technically, this Spider-Man film was the the last film of this phase of Marvel. It wasn't Endgame, so this is the last phase uh, three of Marvel. Uh, and so the fact that they have to follow to be like the ending, you know, that's that's a those are big shoes to fill. But more more importantly, you have the events of Endgame to factor in, which is hard to do when Spider-Man's not supposed to be as weighty as Endgame. Like just by design, it's it's the stakes are so much lower. It's not the fate of the world, let alone the universe. Uh that just it's a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. It's just supposed to be about New York City. Now, of course, in this one, we go, he goes to Europe, thus hence the far from home uh, you know, title. But I'm thinking, OK, in Endgame, there was the snap. Five years went by. Then we got people back, including Spider-Man. And it conveniently, it turns out all of his close friends and the girl he likes, they, they all got caught up in that snap and took that five year break. But some of their classmates didn't. And I really wondered how they were going to handle that. And I thought they actually did it in a pretty clever but very, like, upfront way that's like, we could, we just got to get the logistics out of the way here right now. Right. And, I mean, I'm willing to suspend disbelief. <laughs> but like, So, yeah, that I mean, that's one thing in this movie. You have to se- suspend disbelief several times. Because <laughs> so. <laughs> I'm going to tell you what. I'm going to tell you what. If half of my classmates got, and I'm in high school, they got snapped, okay? And I'm living life. I'm moving on five years, okay? And they all come back including my teachers, and they're like, oh, hey, hey, you didn't finish. You didn't get your diploma. You get your, get your butt back here to high school. You got to finish. I'm going to stand there as the 22-year-old man I am five years later, and I'm going to be like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to take a hard pass on that one. I, uh, <laughs> I've been living for five years. I'm not going back to high school. Thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> um, yeah, that's... I think uh, that's problematic. I think putting twenty-two-year-olds in high school. Uh, yeah. There's there's some issues there. Oh, m- major issues, Aaron. Major <laughs> issues. And, and, like, not to mention just the willingness. Like, who is who? Right. Like one of the characters, and this is someone that that Peter is kind of uh, competing with for the love interest. Uh, he's competing with a dude that's five years his superior. That dude is shouldn't be going after a girl that's still exactly. Minor? Um, yeah, no one talks about that. But no. yes, <laughs> I, I'm, 
I'm guessing that there was an option, right? It's like you can come back to high school for the five year older people or, or, or not. And of which anyone that chose and opted to go back to high school should immediately be red flag. That's like if you <laughs> picked that as the thing you wanted to do, like you are not like a functioning normal person. Uh, and so anyway, again, suspend disbelief. Uh, I, I should back up a little bit. I just want to make clear that ha- that I tr- just loved this movie. Uh, I know I didn't give my, my overall take, and I know I, the title on the Facebook Live video is, is asking the question of whether or not this film was better than Endgame. I will tell you, Aaron, for me, this was better than Endgame. And I realize that seems crazy, and I also realize that's probably unfair because the there's such different films with different objectives. And again, one of those films, the fate of the universe, not to mention all of our superheroes, was on the line. And this other one is decidedly l- less weighty. Uh, the stakes are way... Uh, lower and so that being said yeah. it's just way more my sensibility way more my um, just the tone the enjoyment like this was popcorn cinema at its finest I thought it was funny I thought it was very entertaining I thought it had a terrific villain that I was all about uh, and I thought that like like I said the the authentic the authenticity of the awkwardness of the high school experience was uh, I mean it really came through for me even this idea of in the absence of Tony Stark, who is going to fill that? Is it going to be this like, you know, 16, 17 year old kid uh, in Brooklyn? Like, does that make any sense? Or Bro- the Bronx? He's in Bronx, whatever it is. Uh, but like, is that is that a, too much to ask is for him to fill this, these enormous shoes? And is he even capable of doing that? And uh, you see it throughout the film where he has these moments where he's just exhausted. Nick Fury is trying to get him to help the, you know, fight these otherworldly elemental things and he's just like i just want to go on a field trip with my classmates and i just want to take the girl i like to the eiffel tower and give her a necklace and tell her i like her like any 16 year old kid (laughs) would want to do like i i really believed that like he's just like i I just can't always be trying to save the world i just want to live my life which uh, i just felt like they did a really good job of of, you know showcasing that and i would feel the same way i'd honestly just be like i just gotta figure this out i can't be the only one but, um, yeah, so you liked it more th- uh, than Endgame. Mm-hmm. I preferred Endgame. Uh, more snapping in that. So I, I like a movie where oh, snapping you love happens. the snaps. You love the I snaps. I need a snap. I yeah. need a snap. No, yeah. I, I think the, um, ultimately I would say uh, Far From Home is more entertaining than Endgame. So um, I would give this the... the uh, I would say it's a little bit more entertaining for me. Um, even as a non-Marvel like Marvel fan, I think this one is uh, a little bit better movie. I thought it was more enjoyable. But yeah, like you said, uh, like the stuff you touched on, really, um, Peter is uh, at his essence. He's all about the immediate, right? So it's all about the things that affect his his tiny little world. Yeah. Um, I think that's his what he wants to view, or that's what he wants his his view to be. But um, because he's a kid, obviously. But once he gets wrapped up in these Avengers, and Tony Stark um, passes the torch in in the form of uh, Google Glass, apparently. Uh, <laughs> those shades those shades oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah uh so once once i mean once he got those sunglasses now he's on the hook it's not about just the bronx anymore he's not a friendly neighborhood spider-man i think that's what the whole movie was basically he can't just keep saying that he just cares about his neighborhood it's bigger than that there's more on the line um so yeah i mean that's what we get we get him fighting all across uh, of europe all across yeah. europe can and we talk about the villain interacting interacting with 
maybe my favorite villain yes. in all of MCU. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm gonna say it. It's it's number one. He's the best villain in any of these movies. I loved it. Yeah. What did? Why is he your number one? Well, I think it starts with Jake Gyllenhaal, right? So yeah. he's the best actor that's played a villain in MCU. He's maybe the best Ooh. actor in any of the movies. Shots fired. Right Tom up Hiddleston. there. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I think J- Jake Gyllenhaal is just incredible, and I had my doubts um, when I first heard he was casting this because you know I mean he's a serious actor. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and he came in and he was amazing. He from from the very first scene oh my until the very end, he is on top of his game. He's giving a performance that is equal to just about anything else he's done in his his uh, long storied career. Um, and it's, he never feels out of place. He, he feels genuine and, um, man, he's a good foil for, for, uh, Peter Parker. Oh, he's so good. He j- I should provide another, another reminder to people to, to we are going to spoil the, uh, the, <laughs> the, the Jake Gyllenhaal character right now and, and the, and the villain motives and whatnot. And so once again, please tune out if you do not want to be spoiled, but dude, I loved getting the the duality of the Jake Gyllenhaal performance. I mean, we get the initial, like, uh, noble superhero for another realm. I will say, man, I even though I knew deep down, I was like, okay, he's he's going to be a bad guy. But just how? Yeah. Right? Like, for me, it's like, okay, yeah. how is this? What are his motives? Like, and how is he bad? But I was really unsettled at first because of how hokey his costume was. And mm-hmm. there was no explanation for these the red or the, excuse me, the green beams that he was shooting and what exactly they were doing. Um, and then the fact that he explained he was from like another version of earth. Like I, w- I was disliking very much that entire explanation thinking like, Oh no. And like, <laughs> but like Jake was doing this thing. I, I was nervous at first thinking like, I know he's a bad guy. I'm waiting to figure out how, but like, I don't know if I feel great about this. Like this is this superhero thing is like I, I'm, I'm gonna suspend disbelief. I, I realize we these movies we're living in a cinematic universe with Thor, and it, you know he's got you know like these this Norse looking costumes, but this one looked particularly hokey, like really comic booky. Yeah. And also, then, we have a long history of film where good actors go into comic book movies and they suck. And they suck. Like that's just the reality. Yeah. Jim Jim Carrey in Batman Returns. Come on. The, oh, it's Batman Forever. The, the one me. exception. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Tommy Lee Jones, Two Face. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger they... in Batman and Robin. Yeah. Oh, sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. Isn't that fun? I think Jack Nicholson as the as the Joker is, is an actual exception. Uh, it could have gone south. Mm. Mm, you think it did? <laughs> upon fu- upon further review, I don't know. <laughs> uh, but uh, you're you're right though. I, these comic book movies and these these especially the villain character can get the best of them you know you can get the greatest actor will can you know can falter and i was getting concerned early on that this was happening now this is really early on of course there's this reveal that in fact not only is he not a good guy but he's not a superhero at all and that he is a former uh stark industries executive that and this whole backstory was brilliant by the way i I love so much this idea because Tony Stark, of course, was this enormous figure like an Elon Musk or a Steve Jobs that is this visionary that it, and really truly does, you know, is leading an organization that, the, you know, is doing things that are changing the world. But of course, it's always way more than one person. Like it ha- you have to be employing people 
that are just as talented, if not ta as talented as the visionary. And, and of course that's the case here with Jake Gyllenhaal's character. Um, but I'm forgetting his, the name of the, uh, Steve uh, Wozniak, Steve Wozniak. <laughs> <laughs> that's basically the character they made him. <laughs> I love if they would have done like Dave Bosniak or something. Um, just like <laughs> change the, uh, no, but this is actually a real character from the comic, like yes. the early on comic yeah. books, which is all the more incredible because yep. they've adapted, uh, that character into kind of, the today's technology but basically this yeah. guy was just like um a master of these graphic effects especially from like vr to these projections um to creating these like completely realistic environments that are not real uh and it, it, it's a very uh believable advancement of that type of technology and that the way he has staged these big scenes that have tricked presumably tricked nick fury and shield into thinking um, that these are actual real like bad guys that are these elemental things are actually destroying all this stuff is really just like hundreds of drones projecting these different scenes, which yeah seems like outlandish. But when you see kind of how they did it and they they go through like how it was all done, I was like, you know what? I can buy this. I actually yeah. really dig this way of like uh, this the bad guy that's not just an evil genius, but but uh, but has a really cool technology that isn't that far-fetched and an, a motivation to fill the the vacuum left by you know tony stark right which is a big part mm -hmm. of the theme is is not just is tom holland's spider-man going to fill that vacuum but but in the eyes of jake gyllenhaal's character it's like we can we can get that spotlight we can get that we can appear to be superhuman even though we're not and you know what's funny is when we get this reveal in the bar after he tricks Poor Peter Parker into giving him the Google Glass in, in what I, I would say was just a pretty rookie move by the high schooler. Um, oh, yeah. Even though he's a high schooler, you, you want to hold on to those things. You want to hold on to those things. <laughs> gonna, me, me personally, I'm losing my sunglasses all the time. So I could oh, totally relate. No, yeah. Losing them would have happened for me for sure. But giving them up intentionally, not going to happen. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Um, anyway. I mean, they would stop working anyway because they'd stop pushing software updates. I mean, it wouldn't be supported. Sure. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think so. One of the great things about the Mysterio character is he's essentially Tony Stark, but like the fake version. So he has a suit and he doesn't have any like real power. It's all just illusion. So it, it's it's really interesting the way that they contrast him with Tony Stark. And the fact that Peter Parker wants to get wants to make Mysterio the new Tony yeah. Stark, but he's not Tony Stark. I mean, there's nothing of substance there. Yeah. Um, it's basically just all a lie. So I will say though, with Myster the, the another reason I did like Mysterio is that um, in the reveal scene where he's at the bar and he's like introducing his crew, which by the way, fantastic group. Like those yeah. people, talented. They seem like terrific people to work with, you know, mm -hmm. upstanding people for the most part, other than some of the, you know, things that they're, you know, uh, a part of. Some of them might have blood on their hands. But I will say outside of the, the, the killing of people, which I got to believe some of them weren't really uh, had not signed up for that part of it. I would root for this crew. Like I'd be down for them to succeed, assuming that they're not actually injuring other people because like very likable group. Very much so. Right. Yeah, if we take a step back, what really is the downside to giving Mysterio and his band of uh, tricksters those glasses? I mean, he was 
he was the, he wanted to be a superhero. That was the whole point. Well, he wanted the glasses not to rob banks. The technology, or, or, they're, they're more his than, than Peter Parker's anyway. I mean, he created exactly. them. Exactly. <laughs> right, exactly. Those people understood the technology. They understood uh, what went into it, and they were yeah. they wanted to carry on the legacy. That was yeah. the whole goal. So, yeah. It, I, did, it's really I really, really, really loved using that technology to put Peter in scenes where he just got disoriented and couldn't see, like, didn't know where he was. Like, I really was, like, a cool way yeah. of, like, you know, because it doesn't require having Asgardian superpowers, right? Like Exactly. It, and it was totally exactly. believable that you'd be not know, you know, like, it really, because if you've ever used a VR headset, you know how easy it is to actually feel somewhat immersed, and you can almost get dizzy on like these roller coaster simulators or other things. Like it's pretty incredible. So well, I've I've watched, I've seen some of those deep fake videos on YouTube. I know that stuff's pretty. The tech is is pretty out there. It's getting good. <laughs> it's getting real good. Have you uh, seen the Joe Rogan one? No. The Vice ran this huge article about it. It is uncanny how accurate it is oh yeah it really looks like he's saying all these things and the video he's is a great target it's true yeah so, yeah because he, not only does he have just thousands of hours of content to analyze for any machine learning library but that like he also has ticks and things that he says over and over again <laughs> yeah and there's video of him basically doing saying and doing everything so yeah that's, yeah that's hilarious um and the I know I want to get to yesterday because I know we have some, some things to talk about on that one as well. But a, a few things, a few more things on Far From Home. Um, Favreau. Favreau had a pretty significant part in this film. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of that was to basically it was the connective tissue between the Tony Stark universe and movies and, and, and Peter Parker. He was there to remind the not just the character of Peter Parker, but also the audience about like um, – you know that that's the Iron Man is no longer here. There, there's an absence at the, you know, it Stark Industries, other than of course Pepper Potts running the show, and it did create what I felt like was a really affecting scene between Favreau and Tom, um, and Tom Holland on that jet, where they had this heart to heart, and he talks about how, you know, Tony Stark believed in him, and then he jumps over and and starts checking out all the tech, and you see the look in Favreau's face. Uh, character's name's Happy Hogan. Uh, where Happy looks at him and smiles and says, I'll get the music, and he flips on the song from the first Iron Man film that was done to the montage of Tony Stark in his garage, putting all the stuff together. And, uh, and I, I, that scene, that whole sequence worked on me big time. Like, it was like, it was just a really great uh, deliver on the little premise of like, is, can mm-hmm. he and should he fill the shoes of Tony Stark? And the answer, of course, was yes. The way they got there, I thought was like really effective and really worked. Uh, yeah, they, they, um, that relationship between Favreau or, or Happy and uh, Peter Parker is really, it's really something special. I think um, two great actors and they really play off each other really well. And of course, you had the other element of Happy falling for Aunt May, um, which was another interesting dynamic that they played up for uh, comedic effects. Yes. I thought that was really funny. Yes. So. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> which it appears that they're going to be together from here on out (laughs) (laughs) according to happy they are yeah it looks like it um (laughs) one last question for you on on far from home uh who wins the um the comic relief award the comic relief character award we have a few nominees and so i want to present them to you tell me who the winner is one is ned the friend of peter parker's who finally gets love by the way i actually was a big fan of that uh get that guy a girlfriend um and then um, 
we have Martin Starr in the role of the teacher, uh, famous from Freaks and Geeks, Silicon Valley, you know, the Apatow universe. And then we have J.B. Smoot, uh, another stand-up comedian, Kirby Enthusiasm, among other things, who was thrown in here as another teacher that I was <laughs> – I don't know about you, but I assumed he was in Homecoming and I forgot. I actually couldn't – I was watching the movie thinking, was he in Homecoming? I don't remember. What is he a second teacher? How many classes? Like, do you know where – did you get the genesis of his – No. I I don't remember him being in Homecoming. He he might be in it, but uh, mm. if he if he was, he was not very memorable. Um, not, yeah. Well, before you even finish your list, yes, I yes. can just say who doesn't win the award. It's JB Smooth. <laughs> <laughs> He's Honestly, not winning any award. I think that movie. is the list. I mean, I was gonna throw in the Oof. other classmate that was like that loves Spider Man, oh, yeah. but is but hates Peter yeah, Parker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he seemed to have something of an arc. I think. I don't know. Kind of. It was well, really happy. They also, like, it's very, very weird. They they went some weird places with they some went of those weird purple places. characters. Yeah, I didn't understand that at all. Um, I'm trying to remember. I mean, Happy Happy Hogan is, is something of a comic relief. but uh, Yeah. But I'm going to go with those three. Ned, Martin Starr, and J.B. Smoove. So it's not J.B. It's, it is definitely not J.B. Um, I don't like what they did with, with uh, old Martin Starr. I think... Yeah. Like they they just turn him into just a punchline and just really doing dumb stuff. I could have done without like him dropping the the camera in the in the water as oh, he's taking a yeah. selfie. That's My a scene goodness. that should that's, have been on. The, that's one of the few times in that. That's the only time in that movie where I literally thought that should have been left on the cutting room floor. Like you're editing the movie and you've got to yeah. realize that it it doesn't serve a purpose in the movie in terms of like maybe if he needed his camera later and he didn't have, or something like that, that would make more sense. But yeah, it was, it was they're trying there to lighten for, it up, but dropping the camera in the water. Gosh, we got to so stupid. Yeah. There's funnier stuff it's, to do in this movie. That, that was, that's really, I think there's so many misses. So my biggest complaint about the movie or the, are this, the comedic misses because there's a ton of them. There's entire characters, JB smooth and Martin star. They're misses all yeah. of them. And there's some weird, like, uh, reoccurring jokes between uh, Mysterio and, like, one of the ladies that is, um, she's uh, working on his suit. Like, she she's steaming his suit the because costume. it's wrinkled. Yeah. Do you remember yeah. that? Yeah. yeah, yeah, his costume, exactly. That was, I, I get what they're trying to do there, but, again, not very funny. No. Um, <laughs> no. Now, I, I heard a rumor, though, I was speaking of him interacting with her. I mean, it was supposed to show that that character you know was like obsessive and you know like wanted yeah, the, everything right. to look perfect and yada 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 it wasn't funny but no. the whole him directing the scenes and, and getting mad at everyone and, and telling everyone what to do uh, I, I, this has been well reported on I have no idea if it's remotely true but that that's him doing a David Fincher impression that David Fincher is oh, a wow. director who did Fight Club and Seven and many classic films but he did uh, one of my favorites Zodiac with Jake Gyllenhaal, and it was a famously difficult shoot. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. also in the movie, and both of them had complained mm-hmm. about the number of takes Fincher would do, and uh, they didn't say he was abusive on set. They didn't, certainly didn't use that word, but that he really pushed everyone to the limit um, of what they were capable or willing or wanting to do, and it was like exhausting. And so, have you have you heard this? And and do you buy it? No, I do yeah. buy it because yeah. uh, it seemed like he was channeling somebody. So yeah, well good stuff um 
so yeah, the Martin Starr role, by the way, could have been like Steve Gutenberg. Could have been like literally any. <laughs> like you didn't need Martin Starr to do that. No, um, you didn't. Which is who's a funny person, but like that just yeah. none of his actual like comic <sighs> sensibility. That's what I hate about it. So yeah, yeah, I guess the default comedic award winner goes to Ned. Yeah, by default. All right. Anything else on Far From Home before we? Uh, no, go see it. I think uh, I can highly recommend it, even yeah, for people I mean, that everyone, don't love. Everyone's already seen it. Oh yeah. Did you watch the? Did you stick around for the end credits sequence? There's two of them. I stuck around for the first one, and it I was knew great. It. I knew. I knew yeah. that you wouldn't stay to the end. I just knew it. No, I'm not gonna. <laughs> what? <laughs> so I will say, to, in your defense, usually when they have two end credit sequences, like one that's like midway through the credits and the other one's like at the very end, usually the midway one will be something consequential that hints towards something in the future. And then the end one is like a throwaway, like, oh, the team's eating right. shawarma sandwiches, you know. Uh, in this case, dude, both of them were incredibly uh, crucial to the story, both the going forward and going backward. I was stunned. <laughs> I, like I almost didn't stay for the end end one, but I was like, oh, I, you yeah. kind of have to, you know. And then I I did, and I was like, wow, why would they not include that in the actual? So are you aware of what happened in the, in? Yeah, so okay. I, I looked it up. What happened at the end one? So, uh, but yeah, I'm glad I stayed for the first one at the, least. That was what, great. Yeah. What was? Yeah. Tell me about it. What was great? What did you like about so, it? Uh, I just love the fact that they they reveal they literally reveal who Spider Man is. That's that's a great moment. That's um, I is don't that crazy I don't understand not put in the movie. Yes, exactly. So that's that that's my big uh, problem because they they should have included that in the movie. Why yeah. wait to the credits for that? So yeah. it's great, and you have uh, J Jonah Jameson um, doing, channeling Alex Jones yes. as the uh, that was terrific working. F- yeah, as the loudmouth internet uh, news broadcaster, but. It- so yeah, but that was great. It's not lost on me that like he was reporting actual truth. It was not fake news or conspiracy. Yes, he was actually had right. good. He had like good solid info, and I'm like, <laughs> exactly. wait a second. If we're lampooning Alex Jones, maybe we don't go with something that's like <laughs> like he broke a major story. Uh, but uh, but dude, that's J.K. Simmons. That's the first crossover yes. from the Sam Raimi Spider-Man films of a character that playing the exact same character, like an actor playing the exact same character. That seems bizarre to do but i also loved it i was it's a bold know. choice and i'm glad they made it um i don't know if you played the spider-man for ps4 uh, have you played that yet I, I, I did yeah yeah okay so if you as you get into it um the j jonah jameson character is basically doing that like he's that character the alex jones type oh, oh it is. Okay. Um, internet conspirators yeah so the, he's basically channeling that same character and they i guess they brought him over to the movie so gotcha. it's a really interesting route that they're going with him um, and then the second one is the reveal that uh, presumably in the entire movie that Samuel Jackson's Nick Fury and Maria Hill, the two S.H.I.E.L.D. agents, were those uh, scroll characters from Captain Marvel in disguise. I think the <laughs> whole time um, that seems like an enormous deal. Um, and yeah. I have so many questions about how that happened and the way that that went about and the the fact that, like, unless unless those characters also inherit memories and references, um, other than the, just the physical disguise, uh, it it's hard to totally wrap my head around. Though I will say there is one scene that makes a little bit more sense now, knowing that those were the scroll characters. But when uh, Peter Parker is basically telling them that he doesn't want to do it, like, why don't you get Doctor Strange to do it? And they're like, you know, not available. Or gets get Captain Marvel to do it, and they say, and he says, "Don't you invoke her name." 
that was a weird response in the movie because I'm like, why is that? Why can't we talk yeah. about Captain Marvel? But it makes a lot more sense knowing sure, that. Sure, yeah, like it sure does. But still, kind of, kind of maybe put that in the main movie. I don't know. Weird, weird choice. Very, very yeah, weird choice. Um, All right. So well, we'll see what purpose it serves. But yeah, apparently that's a huge, huge thing too. Let's turn back the clocks uh, to t- 24 hours to yesterday. Um. Sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about the movie that uh, we've been excited to see just because when the trailer dropped, it was just one of those all time like, oh, this is such a good idea for a movie. Uh, I can't believe no one's thought about this before type of concept. And so uh, it, I mean, it, that was the response a lot of people had to the movie yesterday. For those of you who aren't familiar with it, this is a film about um, the struggling musician in England. He was just not able to get anything to work. Um, he gets in a crap. Uh, he gets hit on a, a bus, hits him while he's on a bike. Something about the power going out. I don't really know exactly what happens, but basically like a Y2K event. And uh, he wakes up and the world is mostly the same, except no one knows who the Beatles are. Yeah. So the Beatles apparently have never existed now and no one's ever heard anything about them. And so he decides to start writing the Beatles songs and playing them as if they're his own. And of course, fame ensues as one would have with the catalog to all time classics like that. And so the, that's the premise of the film is like, what if the Beatles never existed, but one guy remembers that they did and remembers their song. And so I, I just was really excited about this story opportunity. Um, that being said with great power comes great responsibility like Spider-Man and um, the, the possibility of screwing up an otherwise perfect premise is pretty high because in film, a- any number of things can go wrong and torpedo. It's amazing that good movies get made just because of how many moving parts there are. And so the fact that you've got the premise locked down and it's, that's incredible. And you got Danny Boyle uh, as a director, who's a very, very good director. And you have, uh, was Richard Curtis is the writer. Who's a well-known, you know, love actually he's a romance writer. Um, you seem to have a good pedigree of people running the ship here. Um, and so I had high hopes. It did come out to middling reviews. I think it's 60% Rotten Tomatoes. And so Ooh. I went in thinking, oh, 60% Rotten Tomatoes. This could go one way or the other. Uh, I want to hear your take first, Aaron. Did yesterday live up to the premise? Did it make good use of this incredible premise? And was it a good movie? I will say that it was a good movie. I'm not a huge Beatles fan, but I I do enjoy most of their catalog. And as someone that's just a, um, just someone who doesn't is totally familiar with the Beatles. Mm. I thought this movie was really entertaining. It's, it's essentially a musical. I mean, you're, you're going through the entire, basically all the biggest hits of the Beatles get played in this movie and they get performed by this main actor. I can't think of his name. I, I don't think Himesh, I've ever seen him before. Himesh Patel. I hadn't either. I think he's done some TV work, maybe. But he, yeah, otherwise, yeah, he's a, British. A so, yeah. yeah. And he's great. He has a great voice. Great he's a voice. great, uh, great musician, and um, he carries the movie because it's all on his shoulders, and uh, it's very entertaining. I think if you if you enjoy the Beatles and you enjoy musical type movies, this you're gonna like this movie. Um, it's not very heavy. There's not much plot there, uh, which is one of the big problems. Um, the characters are pretty thin, um, but the music is amazing uh, from top to bottom. Like you're just hit, hearing the hits. So, and it's fun. Like one of the the fun parts of the movie is 
obviously he's trying to go back and recreate these these classic songs and as a normal person he struggles to remember the words yeah the lyrics loved that which is that's really funny and, and it happens throughout the entire movie um so yeah the, the way the movie plays out is basically he uh he's he's been a failure as as writing his own songs for 10 years and he quits music he says i'm done with it i can't do it anymore and on on his way home from that final gig he gets hit by that bus like you said um and so yeah once he wakes back up he decides to re-record every beatles hit that he remembers and um shoot into super sardom uh based off of the beatles music so like you said it's a great premise um amazing premise and and we've seen how many times have you seen a great premise in a movie and then the actual movie executed is is terrible happens all the time more often than not yeah almost always yeah yeah, and, and this one is like on the border. It, it could have gone either way. Um, so, I can understand why people don't like it. I personally enjoyed it. I think it was, it was a fun people, movie. Most people I fine. think I've talked to like it. Like it. Uh, I, I, okay. I think the average person going in here, you know, if you're not, if you're going in with real film criticism hat on, you know, then you might not enjoy it as much. But I, I will say, the plot elements that have everything to do with the actual like, you know, premise that we're talking about, this great premise, I thoroughly enjoyed. Um, yeah, and we've talked about this. There's going to be this economy of movies where, where there's going to be some storyline, but it's really just going to be playing a bunch of music that you love, and you're going to have a good time with the movies just because of your relationship with these songs. Whether it's an actual rock or music biopic like Bohemian Rhapsody or Rocket Man, uh, which we're going to get a lot more of those, or oh, yes, we have right. a we have a Bruce Springsteen one coming out. A soon. Springsteen one coming exactly. Yes, that's another British yeah. one. Um, mm-hmm. And, and so you're going to get the com- a combination of, of based on actual bands, like real events, and then these ones that are more fantasy, like yesterday, where it's, it's, uh, it's a Beatles movie, but it's not about yeah. the Beatles, right? It's, it's the story is not telling that, because otherwise they wouldn't get I mean, they got the, the songs. I think there's 11 Beatles songs that they got approved, which apparently that process includes having the, uh, the estate of every single, of all four uh, of the Beatles approved. It has to be, it's unanimous. It's all or nothing when getting approved for these things. Mm-hmm. And from, I heard an interview with the director and the, apparently they, uh, all the families thought it was so funny, this idea, but what if they never existed? Just, they thought it was, uh, I guess in a self deprecating way, they thought it'd be really, really funny. And so they, they, they had real, no, no problem getting the sign off, but that's because they weren't doing a biopic, right? If it's going to be mm-hmm. about their lives, like good luck. It's not, I mean, people have been trying well, to, well, yeah, we movie. saw that with queen. I, yeah. How long was that Queen movie in development hell? Oh, yeah. Well, even while they were making it, it was still in somewhat development hell. The director walked away yeah. and stopped showing up. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he had other issues going on at the moment. Well, that's, yes. At the time, I'm just going so. on what was reported as what had happened. <laughs> um, but anyway. Boy, he sure did bounce back well from that one, didn't he? Well, the movie got nominated for Best Picture at the Academy Awards, which yeah. is another. I, sure. I'll never get over that. But uh, anyway. Um, I will say, so the premise parts, anything that has to do with the premise, I actually was, I felt like was executed to great yeah. effect. You, you talked about the whole remembering the lyrics, which I related to on such a level. Like, I know that that would happen to me. It, by the way, if I were in that situation, I am absolutely, without even hesitating, writing those Beatles songs for myself. And I can tell you the moral conundrum that he faces in this movie, which I can understand, I would not have suffered from as much. <laughs> um Knowing that they never existed, I'd be like, well, look, this is not, I mean, there's no way for them to profit off of it now. So I'm okay. <laughs> uh, like, I don't feel like I'm stealing in that sense. But anyway, he, um, 
him I loved that he couldn't remember. And there was they had a lot of shots in the film where he was just like sitting there thinking like, no, is it this word? Is it this word? And uh, I know I would have written lines that were like close, but like maybe four words were different. And I would have just been like, whatever. Yeah. Okay, I'm running with it. But he would see things that would remind him of like, oh, you know, an Eleanor Rigby. You know, there's a line where it's like, oh, it's this. And and I man, I love that touch because it's so true. Um, also, the Beatles weren't the only thing that didn't exist in this universe. And also Coca-Cola <laughs> apparently never existed. Um, that's just a side note of which when that happened, I was like, okay, there, maybe, maybe I don't want to become, I was going to say like, I don't want to live in that world and become famous off the Beatles. If there's no Coca-Cola, I'm not settling for Pepsi. Give me back oh, to my normal life. No way. <laughs> no way. I, I refuse. I will never drink Pepsi. I would, there's I would, two other things that they, yeah, yeah. do you remember what the two other things were uh, that yes. they specifically said yes. didn't exist? Cigarettes. Yeah. Cigarettes and Oasis. <laughs> um, <laughs> the band Oasis. Yeah. <laughs> very, very funny. Yeah, very funny. I, that, that was, what's funny, I laughed. My theater did not. I feel like people didn't understand that. Like, there was not oh, much. Oh, I totally of, laughed. Oh, I laughed. But yeah. there was not a reaction in my theater at all. I thought it was no. hilarious. Um, but, yeah. the uh, Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, it seems... I think it's interesting that they included other things, but I would have been fine had they just kept with the Beatles. <laughs> uh, yeah, no kidding. But yeah, it. Uh, I will. There, there is one. So what I was going to say is everything was great on the premise. The love story at the heart of the film between the main character, played by Hamesh Patel, and uh, Lily James from Baby Driver, Cinderella, great actress. Um, it was just not good at all. It, it was never believable. Um, she was trying to get him to notice her but i feel like he would have noticed her um she like there were moments where i don't want to give too much away but i I think it's it's uh, pretty obvious (laughs) i mean the her expectation of him to basically the some of the ultimatums that were uh presented in the film were like no reasonable person would do that if he had the opportunity to be the like go on to fame and fortune you know you'd let the go to the meeting and then you'd just talk afterwards, things like that. That just right. felt like was not right. actually true to the character as it had established her at that point. And then the resolution of the film is problematic on a lot of levels. And, um, poor Gavin who is, yeah, no kidding. But he yeah. bounced back real oh, quick yeah. again. Yeah. Uh. They, had, they had someone for <laughs> Gavin waiting, literally waiting in the wings. Like someone who was in the foyer waiting to be his <laughs> new love interest. So everything about it was really sloppy on the love story part. Like it really was. Uh, yeah. But the surrounding characters, I got a lot more uh, joy out of. His friend Rocky, who's kind of his right hand man, all right. I actually thought was really funny. Um, uh, Kate McKinnon is always going to be polarizing. Now, I actually thought her zaniness to the role was, even though it was a tired trope of a greedy uh, record exec, I still got some enjoyment out of it. I, I thought it was a good version of Kate McKinnon. Uh, I, and then. I don't want to. So I don't. I'm not familiar with Kate McKinnon's work, honest. Uh, beyond like Ghostbusters yeah. and this movie, is does she can she act like, or is that just her her like is that the character she just always uses? Because I yeah, don't know. So, no, no, she can act. There's this cold okay. open in Saturday Night Saturday Night Live that they do. This is shortly after the results of the 2016 election, where she's playing the piano. Uh, she's in character as Hillary Clinton, and she sings mm. this beautiful rendition of Hallelujah, and it's really touching. And yeah. um, and it's yeah, I mean, it's 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 a good showcase for her acting. Uh, Some of her finest you, work. Huh? I'll send you the link. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to go on YouTube and check that one out. <laughs> oh, 
Yeah, you'll really en- you'll enjoy it very much. Um, but yeah, uh, so I wasn't a huge fan of her. Yeah, uh, but I knew I you did. wouldn't. I, uh, but, but the, like you said, overall the movies, you know, it's, it's there is whatever. a cameo, it's pretty we, thin. Well, not but. a cameo. They cast a real life rock star, which, by the way, they tried to get Chris Martin from Coldplay. Yeah. Is that Who, true? Oh yeah. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah, I, Danny Boyle told me this, or told me. What am I saying? He was he was on a podcast. <laughs> um, isn't that funny how I'm listening to a podcast and I think it's Danny Boyle talking to me? Um, I should have just pat. Yeah, yeah. I was on the phone with Danny and I was asking him like so. Who did you try to get to play the rock star? DB. Yeah. So Danny Bill told me. <laughs> um, they, yeah, yeah. So he was like very open about it. They tried to get Chris Martin. And he was not available. He couldn't do it. And so they asked Ed Sheeran, who is a megastar in, in the sense of record sold. Yeah. Very, very famous. Um, not easy on the eyes, maybe. <laughs> I wouldn't say um, he's not. Uh, made for the screen, as they say in the biz, um, and uh, and apparently he had told Ed Sheeran. I don't know if how much of this was a joke, but he's just like, "You're our, fir- you know, you're our first choice to play this part." And he goes, "No, you're not." I Chris Martin already told me that, that they asked him. And he said, "No." <laughs> he had, they had had a conversation about it, like unbeknownst to Danny, and he he felt pretty embarrassed about that, um, which is why he shouldn't have lied to him. He should have told him he's the second choice. But I. But really, he couldn't have been the second yeah. choice. I bet he was like the fourth or fifth. Because now Ed, that you mention Chris Martin in that yeah. role, it oh, makes so dude, much more sense. Isn't it? Isn't it perfect? It's oh my god! It makes so much more sense. It was written. I, I've got to believe Chris Martin had initially agreed, maybe, and then they wrote it with him in mind, and then he wasn't able to do it for some personal reason. Because it makes so much more sense than Ed Sheeran, who. Um, how would you describe Ed Sheeran's uh, performance in this? I mean, he's like uh, I like every time he was on the screen. I just thought he was like a worm. Like he, yeah. he has a worm-like quality like about worm him. Worm tongue from the rings, the two towers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's, yeah. <laughs> he's just not like th- th- he's not pleasing to look at. He's just not uncomfortable. Um, he's trying, like he's giving an effort, but but he's yeah. but he's doing a bit right because he's playing himself. Yes, but he wants exactly. to play a very and it, I appreciate that he's giving what seems to be a very self-aware like. Yes. There's no way he's actually like that in real life, but he wants to have fun with this persona of Ed Sheeran in this movie universe. But it's hard to do that when you're not good at acting, and it's having a good stage presence and being able to play music isn't the same as being able to act in a movie. It's just not. Sometimes that translates. In in this case, it, it didn't. Because I well, know he was trying, but it, it just came across as just bad. Like he wasn't good. Yeah, there's a. It's sequ- a great point that you bring up because actually I feel like um, with the the main character uh, Hamish Patel, mm-hmm. um, he's a great actor. Yeah. But when he's on the stage, he doesn't feel like a star. No. Whereas when Ed Sheeran's on stage, he feels like a star. He actually knows. Uh, how but to when he's acting, stage. isn't that weird? Yeah, that's there's amazing. A, there's, there's a the climactic concert scene. Um, I should say climactic to the career. There's there's an ending one with the resolution. Yeah. But the climactic one for the character, where he plays outside of this hotel, he's playing. Um, is it help? I believe. Uh, and he's jamming on the guitar yes, in yes, a way yeah. where it's like, oh, that's not, that's not what rock stars. That's not actually how they hold it. Like, jam with the guitar. Like you can tell when someone has you know, knows the way the ro- a rock star moves or has spent a ton of time on stage. And they were just like, it was not majorly noticeable. But a couple of subtle things where I'm like, oh yeah, he's, this, he's not actually a rock star. Good actor though. 
but not a rock star. Yeah, he's a fine actor. He gave a great performance. Yeah, um, yeah I have zero complaints about him. So. Yeah. So, yeah, specific, one last thing on Ed Sheeran. There's just this weird sequence uh, where he challenges Himesh. Uh, like, he can't get over the fact that this guy wrote all of these songs. Um, he just thinks that he wants to know more. He keeps asking about his process. Like, how did you come up with these lines? And so he's like, you know, let's, let's do a, we're going to have a, a little competition, a songwriting competition. Take five minutes, go into a room. We're both going to just write a brand new song we've never come up with before. We're going to come out and we're going to play it to this group of people that I guess were friends and whatever uh, backstage at this thing. And they both come out. Uh, Ed Sheeran plays a song that's pretty good. And, uh, and then, of course, Himesh plays a Beatles song. And it's, I think, Day in the Life. Uh, yeah, and it's one a of those. great rendition of it. And, of course, it blows everyone out of the water. But Ed Sheeran's reaction to it is really, really weird. Um, and, and the scene is super awkward as it ends. And Kate McKinnon ha- literally has to jump in and save it. Like she comes in and is just like, yeah. so anyway, I'm a record exec. Let's make you money. You know, but it's like, it's weird. It, it, the energy, his reaction. And I know he's doing a bit, but it is weird. Mm-hmm. So anyway, it's a poorly executed bit is what it is. Yeah. Uh, agreed. So, um, overall, I will say don't go to this film if you want to, for the love story. Go to the film if you love the Beatles and just uh, an interesting concept. If you like anything involving uh, Britain, you're going to love this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, if you if you want to see a movie about people that work at Costco. Yeah. And if because he works at Costco. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I know there are some conspiracy theorists out there who uh, believe certain artists like Tupac and John Lennon are still alive. If you mm-hmm. are, fall into that camp. Um, maybe go check this out. I think it might be up your alley. <laughs> um, might be up your alley. I don't want to go into that because I don't think enough people have seen it to spoil that. No. Part, but, um, but yeah, let's just say Paul McCartney really didn't want to be in this movie. Uh, <laughs> had he though, it would have been the, the a particular moment would have been so much more powerful. So I'll just say that. Yeah, it was a missed opportunity for sure. All right, we're over an hour. Should we give our, uh, our our quick recommendation on this last film without going into detail and then sign off? Oh yeah, I think we can. It's, go go for it. I think you're a bigger fan than I was. So uh, so this is look. It's been I don't know if you would agree, Aaron. It has not been a strong year at the cinemas so far. Uh, this ha- this happens sometimes. We you know where it's of course the Oscar season, which is the back half of the year, the the fall. Uh, season you you get the high concentration of of good quality you know that oscar fair independence the 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 good movies from sundance will get released in the fall but usually there are some gems along the way get out came out in the early part of the year last year but there's things that come out that are like these uh really surprise you know hits and and gems i should say this there's been a lot fewer this year than there have been in years past and it's been a bit of a bummer um, we've, for me, I've enjoyed the, the big movies like Avengers and uh, Spider-Man, John Wick, Us, which is now a big, that's a big movie fair now. Uh, and Toy Story 4, which we really haven't talked about at all. Maybe save that for another pod. Uh, but for me, I saw this film, uh, The Last Black Man in San Francisco, which is on, uh, I think it's technically released wide now. It's somewhere in between like the limited and wide where it's like, it's playing at like a couple theaters in Sacramento, I know. And so um, hopefully it's available close by to people listening. Uh, This is a film 
that uh, I mean I saw the trailer for it and I got pretty excited about it uh, not just because I grew up around the Bay Area and I work in the Bay Area but because it really looks like an interesting story um, and I, I'll tell you but we're not going to go into great detail because really I just want to get people to go to the closest theater that's playing it as soon as possible but it is easily far and away my favorite film of the year it's not even close not only that it's the best movie about San Francisco ever um, and it is very much about San Francisco in the truest sense uh, and uh, yeah this is a film that I, uh, I've i seen twice now and I, I, w- I will see it many many more times I, I, I just thought this was an excellent film especially considering it's a directorial debut for the filmmaker um, and uh, made on a shoestring budget filmed on location which is nearly impossible to do in a city like San Francisco and uh, yeah I, I just couldn't be higher on this film so you saw it recently as well. Yeah, I sure did. I didn't know what to expect. The trailer is uh, pretty pretty incredible. It's um, the trailer gives nothing away, by the way. No, <laughs> it's, it it's so, which is great. I love that. Um, this Isn't movie it? is a throwback to the uh, to the to mid '90s independent cinema, and I absolutely loved it for that. It's um, it's an incredible movie. It's it's really uh, eye-opening. It's all about gentrification and how people that grew up in San Francisco is are displaced, though, especially black about? people. And, I, I mean, I, I, I'll challenge you only a little bit there because the title yeah. certainly suggests that it's almost a yeah. probably that it'll be almost exclusively and aggressively about that. But the title yeah. is not about that, actually, which is interesting. Correct. It's, it's yeah. But that is certainly a, a major theme in the film. There's no doubt about it. Face value is that uh, it's all about gentrification, but it is, it's beyond that. Um, and it's really it's a deep movie. It's poignant. It's um, urgent. It's timely. Um, it's complicated. Yeah, it and uh, it's really, really interesting. And I think uh, it's, it's the most dynamic movie I've seen this year. And I can't recommend it enough. If you have any sort of in, um, interest in independent cinema, smaller movies, intimate stories um, with really bold, different characters, then you need to see this movie. Agreed. I'm grateful that there are people like Danny Glover who are willing to be in movies that they don't get paid anything for because That's they right. care that much about the story. And he's a native. He lives in San Francisco still, uh, but raised yeah. there. And so he... For, for them to be able to get the script in front of him, which apparently took a lot of effort, I, uh, I'm just grateful that he agreed to do it because he, he provides a lot in his limited role. Um, but he's the only fig- person you're probably going to recognize. Mike Epps uh, has a little bit part as well. Oh, yeah, he sure does. And yeah. his bit is great, actually. I <laughs> loved his everything his character does. And again, another limited screen time. But it's... Mm-hmm. You kind of know people like that or you've seen people yeah. like that, like you're familiar with, um, yeah, what he's doing. And so outside of those two, though, it, it is a mostly an anonymous cast, but filled with characters and people that I think really fill the screen uh, in a way that was so good and so effective. Um, yeah, incredibly unique. It's it's a movie filled with bold, uh, bold choices and they're yeah. all really good. <laughs> yeah, it's really, really excellent. Uh, and so, yeah, they, I, I knew it was a great San Francisco film pretty early on, but especially throughout the film when I realized like an hour and a half or about an hour in that I hadn't seen a single shot of the Golden Gate Bridge. And <laughs> they finally show one. It's literally with the very end, it, the, either the last shot or close to the last shot. Uh, and it's actually used with purpose. 
Like what it's doing in the scene actually has meaning and services the story. It's not just this. Guess where we are? San Francisco, Golden Gate Bridge, and and it obviously it was here's done. a trolley. <laughs> here's a trolley. Fisherman's <laughs> Wharf, uh, Trans America Tower. It, this <laughs> I uh, I appreciated the way that this movie was shot, and it's not the the all the hot spots of San Francisco. Um, this was the more real part of San Francisco, and yeah, if any, especially people that, I mean, anyone that loves good storytelling should go see this movie. Um, those of you who have a special place in your heart for San Francisco, especially so, doubly so. So, go see it. The Last Black Man in San Francisco. It's very, very good. It's gonna be in my top five at the end of the year for sure because right now it's my favorite. So, all right, Aaron. a lot of catching up to do. We did three up, got through three movies. <laughs> And Stranger Things. Oh, and Stranger Don't Things. Don't forget that. And gotta, Bosch. When are you going to start watching Stranger Things? Uh, probably, I don't know. I don't want to commit. You don't want, I was going to get you to commit on, <laughs> while we're live still. I can't lie to you. <laughs> I, I really wanted you to, I really wanted the commitment. Uh, you're too busy just going through, I mean, buying, you're just, I know you're selling uh, these Anthony, da- uh, yeah, Anthony Davis Laker jerseys out of your apartment on amazon yeah uh so yeah lakers got ad and i'm pretty excited i never wanted Kawhi leonard so i'm glad that we didn't get that him. worked out perfectly um, for you then that's perfect that's incredible I, it, and we got the demarcus cousins did you yeah honestly that's not even like an afterthought pickup like now there's a chance that he never gets full health or he injures himself again and whatever but like he's on a vet minimum so it's no big deal the the upside to if he recovers like full health this guy's a beast it's gonna be yeah and i i already know for i already know it's the lakers and he's gonna be so good for them and it sucks but and he's happy to be here so i'm, is, I'm glad oh he is oh, okay we know yeah that. Oh, oh okay yeah he's gonna I talk love to the, him. Me- the media attention is something that he handles super well like especially criticism like, he <laughs> takes it in stride very very level-headed about it so that'll be <laughs> the la media will be a really good thing for him he, he will play off that very well um <laughs> I will say, you can't, you didn't, did you really believe that Kawhi Leonard, like, it, part of me was resigned to the, that it was going to happen because it was starting to get reported, but there was another part of me that's like, no way, though. Kawhi, AD, and LeBron? There, there was, okay, over the entire saga, there was yeah. maybe one day one when day. I thought, okay. oh, man, we're going to yeah. get him. We're going to get him. Because everyone He's gonna was be a Laker. saying it was happening. Yeah. Yes, yeah. exactly, yeah. exactly. So there was one day out of the entire saga that's, when I said, okay, we're going to get him. But yeah, yeah, we didn't. So who cares? <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, there. I, I similarly, I had one day of this free agency where I we, were, we thought we were going to get Rashawn Holmes, and we did. So <laughs> big victory for the Sacramento Kings. I was actually pretty excited. I, I do like that. <laughs> um, I will say this, and I know this is not going to be a, a popular thing to say, or uh, the people in our basketball thread, that text thread. They're not going to agree with this take, but I'm I'm spitfiring it, and I hate the Lakers, and so you know that this is coming from a genuine place. But LeBron James and Anthony Davis are a better duo and pair in terms of talent than Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. I'm not talking about the role players. I'm talking about the rosters, the deep benches, or the organizations. About just two players, duos, right? Better, more talented duo. It's Anthony Davis and LeBron James over Paul George. Kawhi Leonard. Yes, Kawhi just won a championship, and Paul George just had maybe his best statistical season yet. A lot of that had to do with the way Russ was playing with him and the volume, and they went nowhere with those numbers. So it's kind of I don't want to say bad, good stats and a bad team per se because it wasn't quite that bad. But it's really pretty close. Stuff. 
I mean, it wasn't yeah. good. I mean, it was like no. playoffs, right? I mean. And the guy's injured every year, like yeah. serious injuries, too. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, yeah. I, I'm I it's one of these weird things where I really hate the Lakers and I never want them to have success. But I want my my good friend Aaron to be happy. So I am. I'm Thank genuinely you, Genuinely happy for you. And, and and seriously, the Boogie Cousins thing, man. Yeah. Jump gonna, on the Lakers bandwagon, buddy. Would, There's plenty would, of room. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I got, we got this great core that I'm just so hyped about. I really am. So we won't. I mean, we don't hey, have to make the playoffs for a while. It's fine. But we're gonna get good in the meantime. No, you guys will be fine. You guys, you guys might sneak in. You Maybe. never know. We better actually. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or you're gonna fire the coach. Yeah, we will. We really will. Um, um, well, you might not have to fire him because he might be in jail by the end of the season. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. Or before <laughs> the season starts, it's hard to hard yeah, to know. Exactly. Oh my gosh. It was your coach, by the way, too. You got to say our coach. We should, can we talk about him as I, our coach? No, I washed my hands of him. But he's I'm a, hoping that he does. I hope he resigns and Vladi comes down and coaches your team. That's my that's my hope. I, I'm honestly, I that is a very realistic possibility. <laughs> and honestly, I would happen. rather have that than Mark Jackson get hired or something. You know what I mean? Like, sure, exactly. Like have someone that has the respect of the organization and the and the players. Which Vladi I was going to say does. you'd rather – absolutely. And I was going to say you'd rather have that than someone like Jason Kidd. And then I remember, oh, oh the Lakers hired Jason Kidd. That's right. So yes. He's one of your assistants. <laughs> By the way, thankfully he's not – he has no ambition to, to be the head coach. So you don't have to worry about an internal coup or any palace intrigue because he just – all he wants is just to be an assistant. And he's very happy in that role. So you're, you guys are going to be set. It's going to be fine. It's he's going to get fine. along great with everybody. It's just so. going to be fine. Yeah, yeah. You're going to be good. Anyway, happy for you. Uh, Thank you, sir. And happy for the, the my all the Clipper fans that I'm friends with, which I don't think are any zero. But <laughs> uh, all right, well that's it. There we got our basketball talk in. Aaron, thanks for joining me. People, go yes, see. Sir. I think we're gonna say go see all three of these films. Far from home. All of them. Yesterday. Everything. Last Black Man in San Francisco. And uh, we'll be back as the good movies start to ramp up. Things get better in this back half of the year. So, all right, man. Couldn't get worse. Couldn't get worse. (laughs) Thank you for listening to the Brave Little Podcast. Hold on to your butts. 